are good, even though in life things happen that aren't good. And um, we need to read Romans 8, 28 the right way. God calls us all things to work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good. Because there's a lot of things in this world that happen to us personally, as well as uh, around us in our culture or in other cultures or uh, in, in the past history of mankind. We look back and we see uh, evidence time and time and time and time again of what the scriptures say is the condition of sin, sinful human heart, and, and uh, the devil and his forces, and all the things that seem to be aligned against righteousness and, and, and eternal uh, life, these things. And we thank you that uh, you are bigger than all of these circumstances, and you are able, uh, in a way that's really more astounding than just working miracles, uh, you can, can intervene uh, and, and do things that are that violate the laws of physics, like the resurrection that we were talking about this morning, and violate the natural law, you can do that. But what's more astounding is how you can take uh, the countless decisions of, of countless lives of people throughout history, and, and Satan and his forces, and you know, even the angels, and, and just the natural world as we understand it, without violating any of those laws of, of our of our wills, uh, our choices, or of gravity, or of just the, the natural order of things, you work them together in a way that uh, achieves your outcome. And that is just mind-blowing. And to think this morning, as Erica reminded us, uh, of your grace and how you listen to us and how you have uh, reached out to us and provided grace just because you're that kind of God, because you are a loving God and a gracious God. Not only that, uh, of course, is your justice, but you were able to overcome even that in such a way that if if we were to, if you were to bring up our sins after we are in Christ, we would be wrong. And that is amazing. You are a just and the justifier. You are right to do it. And we thank you for that. Only you can come up with a plan like that. And only you have the power and the authority to make it happen. Open your, your word to us this morning as we continue with what Jesus has to say here to the religious leaders and to us about who he is. In Jesus' name. Bible open the wrong spot here. Let's see. John chapter 8 this morning. I won't belabor a long uh, review, other than to say that this is kind of uh, right in the middle of two statements that Jesus makes about being the light of the world. So you remember that first 11 verses of chapter 8 is a story which, um, you know, most likely happened. In Jesus' ministry, all right. I'm not saying it didn't, but there's, it's, it's, it could have happened. And as far as the timeline goes, where it's placed in the Gospel of John, um, there's, there's good evidence that it, it didn't. But the point is that chapter eight itself begins really with verse twelve, okay, which is Jesus saying, "I am the light of the world," effectively. 
And, and then it ends in chapter nine, it's sort of like two bookends, right? You got the books and everything between the two bookend statements. Again, uh, chapter nine, verse five, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, okay? So Jesus here is turning the light on. And that's why in your notes, I, I say down there, the outline, Jesus turns the light on, right? Dot, dot, dot. Point number one that we've looked at when we finished up last time is he turns the light on to remind the Jews that he is leaving soon and to warn them of their need to believe to avoid condemnation. And we read um, <clears throat> from chapter, uh, we compared that with chapter seven, few, you know, few verses earlier. And then we also looked last time at Luke 13, and some of that is a little part portion of that is quoted at the top of your notes up there, okay? <clears throat> where Jesus is talking to the same people. This is a different context and a different gospel, but he says to them, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And he's warning them. And we, we had a really good discussion last time about uh, salvation, about being uh, assured of your salvation and, and because the worst thing you know going to hell is bad enough but imagine going there after you find out too late that you were absolutely certain you were going to hell. that's the warning that jesus is giving to them in luke and that's the warning that he's giving here as well the light of the world turns the light on. When the light comes on, you know, this last night when we drove uh, uh, drove back home after a long day, as Rick said, right? A long day, big giant circuit going through Charlotte and coming back. Uh, went down 26, came back 40. Um, and, uh, and so we drove Sabrina's car in, and it was dark, right? And my wife is eager to hear the story and go outside and see the car. Well, this morning, the light, the sunlight's, uh, sun's coming up and sunlight is out. She's like, wow, this is great because now we have some sunlight. We can see the car better. Right? I mean, we have, you know, we have lights like garage light and spotlight and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's not like seeing the car in the full light of the sun, right? The, the light reveals the truth, whether you like it or not, good, bad, or ugly. The light just reveals the way things are, right? It's not an opinion. It's not, uh, you know, it's not there to, to, to numb your pain or make you feel better or whatever. It's simply there to tell you the truth. That's why most of your criminal acts are done at night because I think they can be hidden under the darkness. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and not only criminal acts, but other things. People, sure. people do things at, at night that they wouldn't do during the day or most of the time, much of the time, right? Because there's something about the night like that that just makes it feel like I'm going to get away with something I know I shouldn't do. 
You're right, that's a good point. Right? The good news here is that not only is Jesus the light, okay, it's running of just, just like stating the raw facts, things as they are, the reality, but he's also there to do something about it. Because when the light turns on for them, it's not a very good picture. Okay? And this whole chapter, really, the verses that are coming are even worse <laughs> than what he's already been saying to them. He's going to reveal some really, really drastic things that shock and anger them. Okay? So, first point on the, on the outline there is he turns the light on to remind them that he is leaving soon and warn them of their need to, to avoid to believe, to avoid condemnation, okay? And that's verses 21 to 24. Let me just read those, and then we'll get to our second point. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Notice the word again there, right? Because, and that's on your notes also, that refers back to the first time he said this to them, was back in chapter 7. Okay? It's right there in your notes. Go back and read that. So he's telling them again. He's, he's why the repetition? Trying to drive the point home. Right, right, right. That's right. Pointing to his head, right? Get, get it through the thick skull. Okay, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere, and you can't come with me. But this time, unlike in chapter 7, where they're, they're kind of puzzled by that, and they think, well, maybe he's going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to go talk to those Greeks, right? But here they've already come to a conclusion. They've obviously thought about it in the meantime. And they're going to come to the wrong conclusion. In fact, it's a very, it's a very offensive conclusion they come to. Look what they say in verse 25. So they said to him, oh, sorry, um, back up, 23, uh, no, 22, sorry. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, he cannot come. Doesn't sound very offensive in the Greek until we realize that they're, these are theology majors, right? These are the guys who are the preachers. They're the, they're the theologians. They know their Bible inside and out. And they believed in their theology that if you killed yourself, you would, you would bypass, do not collect $200, go straight to hell. To them, in their theology, suicide was the unpardonable sin. Whatever else you've done in your life, you, you do that, you go straight to hell. So that's why they say that. What they're really saying is, well, clearly, where, where's the one place Jesus can go that we can't go? Well, clearly, we're on our way to heaven, so it must mean that he's going to hell. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Very insulting. Very backwards, too. Okay. But look at what he says to them, verse 23. You are from below, I am from above, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That's a very uh, uh, Jewish uh, poetic response. It's a brilliant response, really. Uh, it's, in, it's, it's in a, a structure they're very familiar with, uh, parallelism, okay? But what he is saying to them is, you've got it exactly backwards. I'm going back to the place I am from. He's already told them that, okay? Well, where are you from? From heaven, okay? He is the heavenly witness, and we've already seen this many times in John's gospel. Uh, John the, the Baptist even confirmed that back in chapter 3 as well, okay? 
So they knew this. But he, what he's saying here is, I'm not of this world, but you are. The world system, now, again, it's not, it's not necessarily pagan philosophies. They were very critical of, you know, other um, religious systems. They had already said kind of a, it's kind of a dis disparaging way back in chapter 7, uh, you know, revealing sort of their bias, you might say. Uh, well, he, he must be going to the Greeks to teach those people. I really do. Okay. Um, we tend to think of the world as everything, every other system we disagree with, but ours. But here Jesus is saying to them, he's giving a little hint. This is going to become clearer and clearer as we get, especially into chapters 13 through 16, that really what he's referring to here is the religious system that they were part of, they were so certain was of God, but he's in a few verses going to say, no, in fact, you are of your father, the devil. And the world system is anything, even with a Christian label, that comes from the devil. And I would say, Satan's greater masterpieces are those things which, those systems, which look so much like the real thing or purport to be the real thing, but are in fact really of the devil and that are deceiving people into thinking they are going to heaven when in fact they're going to hell. That's his great lie. Because not only can he get you to hell, but he can really add, add insult to injury, as we might say. Right? I told you, verse 24, that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice, they had their trust in a system, but Jesus is calling for trust in him. See that? You're going to die in your sins. You're in this religious system, and you are you are such good little boys and good little girls in this system, you think. But you're going to die in your sins. You're not dying in righteousness. You're not dying in, 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 in God's eyes, the one who really matters, not what I say about you or what you say about you or what anybody else says about you. They had this religious system. One of, one of Mark's of a religious system like that is this sort of self confirmation you know everybody who's plays by the rules just sort of patting each other on the back and, and you know you get <clears throat> John John says John calls it um, uh, the fear of the Jews okay he's going to talk about that in some of the upcoming chapters that some of the people some of the chief priests not chief priests, some of the priests and some of the Sanhedrin members like Joseph Arimathea and, and Nicodemus are two examples they believed in Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. But you're not going to stand before other people in the end, right? You've heard me say many times, the only opinion of you or me, uh, of how we live, that really matters is God's. There's a lot of freedom in that, by the way, because I don't have to go around trying to please everybody. Okay. 
But they had a system of self-confirmation, of self-righteousness. Anybody who didn't fit their mold got, got rejected by them and criticized by them. But Jesus is saying, you are going to die in your sins. And you are going to go, I'm returning back to where I came from, heaven, and you're not going there. Unless, what? And this is the grace, right, in, in the judgment. And the hard facts, as the light comes on and you see the ugly reality, the light comes on and he says, by the way, there is some grace here. There is a way out. There is a way that you can end up in heaven. Okay? And it's not in this system that you constructed. It's not the world. Okay? Very disruptive. He says... Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He doesn't even say that you need to believe in the facts about me, right? The facts are important, and the scriptures are important. That's why we study the Bible, right? Because we, want to, we don't study the Bible as an end in itself. We study it because it points us to him and the power and the grace and the and the. The, the grace is talking about the redemption, the transformation is in him, okay? And you need to believe who he said he is. It's not enough to believe the facts about you. Yeah, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I must be a Christian. You need to know who he is and believe in him. Trust him. Commit to him. He told me, I, we're talking about reputation. And, you know, I'm, I'm so amazed that he was... He said three times that you will die in your sins. And those those three or four verses, come on guys, give a clue here. He is absolutely, you know, even when, even if you're not a believer, if you hear somebody say something and they repeat it again, and they repeat it again, they're trying to get the message across. He's trying to get the message across about them dying in their sin also. And I just, I was, you know, when I'm studying this last week, getting ready for this today, but I noticed that three times he says that. Three times within a short three or four verses. That means, hey, wake up, people. Yeah. Because you are going to die in your sins unless you believe in me. And then he goes on and tells them about him, you know, him and the Father. It comes from the Father. The Father sent him. But I'm just amazed that, that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sit, stay right there. That when, even as us, as believers, even non believers, we sometimes don't take that heed. But when you, like you said, reputation means a lot. They're trying to, you're trying to get your attention. And it just, it spoke to me a little more when I read that. I was like, man, he's saying three times, three times. It's amazing. We're born in sin. Unless he intervenes and you believe in him, you're going to die that way. It doesn't matter how religious or how good you are on the outside. Put your trust in the wrong thing. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on. Then point number two on our outline. Jesus turns the light on to remind the Jews of who he is, where he is from, and what purpose the Father has for the first coming of the Messiah. Well, that's a lot in there, right? But it's all there, okay? Trust me. Okay, so let's let's uh, read these verses and let's kind of break them down a little bit. Um, verse 25, 
So they said to him, well, who are you? That's a fair question, right? If, listen, if God's exit plan from judgment is believing that Jesus is who he is, that's still a little ambiguous. Well, who are you then, right? What do I need to believe? Well, you would expect at this point that Jesus would, would say, I mean, if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, what would you say? Well, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ, right? I'm telling you, God. He had every right to say that, too. He did. And he had every right to be vocal and rebellious about them, but he didn't. He did it in love. What's interesting here is that his answer is not as direct as you would think. Right? Look at what he says. Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. What? What? Do I need to repeat it again, guys? Well, can you can you think back in the Gospel of John, or maybe uh, another Gospel, where did he say this to them? What I've been telling you from the beginning. Where did he say it? Yeah, it goes back even earlier than that. But what's interesting is the way that John presents it. Do you, do you know where the most, up to this point, okay, because this there's coming at his trial a very clear statement about him being Christ, where he says that, you've said it yourself, right, to, the, to Annas, okay? But before that, up to this point, the clearest statement out of Jesus' mouth that he is the Messiah to anyone is at the was with the woman at the well. That's pretty shocking to me. I I, I stood up and I was, or sat up and I was like, when that hit me, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Because she says to him, you know, <clears throat> as soon as she figures out, well, I, sir, I see that you're a prophet, right? You're not some ordinary person. She, he knew things about her life that he wouldn't have, no normal person, no normal self-respecting male Jew would be talking to her in the first place. But after she gets over that shock, the next shock is that he knows things about her life that, that he shouldn't know. Never met this man in my life, and yet he's told me everything I ever did. Whoa. <laughs> you know? And then she says to him, well, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she trots out the big question that's on her heart as far as religion, right? Because she's trusting in her system, just like these guys are trusting in their system, their religious system. And she says, well, where's the right place to worship, right? And he tells her, either this mountain or in Jerusalem, the Father seeking true worshiper to worship spirit and truth. And she says, well, when the Messiah comes, he will reveal all things. I who speak to you am he. Pretty clear. He never really says that to these guys, not directly. But what is interesting is if you go back to chapter 3, what is Nicodemus, who, by the way, now listen, he is their representative, isn't he? This is very early in Jesus' ministry. He kind of kicks off his, we, we think of, the official start of Jesus' ministry was the baptism of John. He goes, he goes into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days. John, the gospel doesn't tell us that, right? The others do. 
But John the Gospel picks up after that. So the other Gospels tell us about the temptation. They don't tell us what happened immediately after that. Only John does. John tells us immediately after the temptation, Jesus came right back to the same place where John the Baptist was baptizing. He hung out there for a few days. Right? And allowed John the Baptist to keep pointing to him, behold the Lamb of God. Right? And finally, on the second, the third, you know, we talk about repetition. It finally sinks in, right, Rick? Finally sinks in to John the, the Apostle and Andrew. Oh, and they start following him. Because <laughs> then before that, they were following John the Baptist. So then, now, now that's sort of how Jesus launches his ministry. But you know what? what's interesting is that, you know how he kind of launches it publicly so that most people can see it? With the cleansing of the temple. He does that in chapter 2. Right after that, that evening, because he's still not really, really popular yet, because he hasn't had years of healings and all that. You know, you couldn't even get in the house like we just saw recently, wherever Jesus was, it's jam-packed. Before that happens, he and Nicodemus have a conversation at night. Here comes this rock star, this man, this brilliant man, learned in the scriptures, very wealthy. Josephus tells us he was, at that time, the third richest man in Judea. Okay. He comes in, he has a conversation. First thing out of Nicodemus's mouth, you can read it yourself, beginning of chapter 3. We know you are from what? From God. Because no one can do these works that you do unless he be from God. So it's interesting because we don't really have a, a Jesus is, is, he tells them who he is. He's the son, right? And they pick up stones to stone him. <clears throat> at, at several occasions. Yes, back in chapter 5 as well. But even before that, Nicodemus comes and bears witness. It's a step further. We know you're from God. You know, maybe chapter 2 doesn't say where Jesus straight up tells them, but they got the message, right? And Nicodemus comes as a witness to say, we got the message. We know who you are. Okay. But you're right. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is that I think this is one of several examples in the gospel of where Jesus walks this fine line between making the truth clear and pushing them over the edge to where they, he knows that the Father's timing has to be perfect, okay? And we're going to see that as we get further and further into the gospel, particularly around uh, chapter, chapter 10 and 11. Where they are so they're so violent with him. By the time we get to the end of chapter ten, he has to escape for a little while, and then he comes back to Judea, chapter eleven, to to raise Lazarus. Now, before he does that, the disciples are like, "Jesus, are you sure you want to do that? Because remember, last time we were down there, I tried to stone you. I tried to talk him out of it. And finally, Thomas says this weird statement there. If you don't, it's weird until you realize the context." All right, fine. Well, we'll go down and die with him. <laughs> okay. Well, all right, Jesus, we're with you. We'll all go down and get stoned together. Okay. Jesus walks this fine line between knowing the Father's perfect plan that He must die at the at on the Passover. Okay, and it can't be too early. But he also wants to tell these guys the truth. And he knows that the more truth he's telling them as he's turning the light on, the harder their hearts are getting and the more their violence comes out. The, the, real, the real 
nature of the person inside breaks through the shallow veneer of religious, you know, piety, and, and, and they come out and they're revealed to be murderers and liars, just like their father. But he doesn't want to push it too hard too soon. And I think that's what's going on here. That's why he doesn't come straight up and say, yeah, I'm Messiah. Come on, guys. I mean, how many times do I have to tell right? He doesn't do that. He says, he simply says, what I have been telling you from the beginning. From the beginning. You And Nicodemus has already borne witness because he says we. He didn't say I. He says we know who you are. Nicodemus was the dude. Let me tell you, the guy was connected. He was one of these guys. Okay? All right. <clears throat> so. But he also... Uh, Prevalent when the uh, at the resurrection. I mean, it was, it yes. Was, yes. You know, he was there too when the stones rolled up. He, he, he was one of the ones that came. Well, he was one of the ones that that was involved in the burial. Yeah, which means he had a heart of Jesus. Yes, he loves him. Which, when we get there, we'll see that. In fact, John John's gospel is the only one that records that fact. Okay, that he was kind of in league with or in partnership with Joseph of Arimathea. It seems that maybe the two of them talked about it. Another man who loves. Yes. And uh, anyway, that's that's a cool thing because both of those guys really seriously risked their reputation. They really did. That was a real sacrifice for them. But I think they, and I'm, I'm not trying to get off this, uh, but I remember during the uh, Easter time, I, I read about this, and I think that, that they were real concerned about the reputation. You know what I'm saying? And you're right, it could have. But their credibility was with Christ. And it, you could see it in, in their visibility of being prevalent and being vocal about it. So I, I give them thumbs up. Because to, to today, today's society, it's like full of more crap. You know, sees people in riots and stuff. Half the people don't understand why they're rioting. They're scared to do it. The crowds make a difference. And so, and they could turn the tone. But yeah, they, they stood where they probably. Again, like you said, their reputation was at stake. They had a lot more to lose than the disciples did. I mean, it's, honestly, the disciples had, and I don't mean to throw off on the disciples too much. There's good evidence. We've seen that in some videos. Of, they found Peter's home up in Galilee. I mean, he was, yeah. he was married. He, his <laughs> disciples forget that. As a disciple, he was married. He had a family. He had a fishing business. He was connected. That home was a, this was a serious home. I've okay. mentioned several times. That's where the <clears throat> camp camp was. I mean, that's where his home base was. You mentioned something. But 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 these guys had a lot more. They had they were very wealthy, more so than Peter, right? And the other Matthew gave up a lot too. Matthew had a prosperous. Um, he was tax collector. He was probably pretty wealthy as well. Um, so I'm not saying that that they were. I'm not trying to say they're all like dirt poor. You know, uh, dumpster diving guys. You know, uh, they, they had means to various amounts, but those two really had a lot to lose. Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus were both members of the Sanhedrin. You know, they were they were members of of the Jewish Congress, if you will, like a, like senators. Okay, they were they were very well connected. They had a lot to lose, and it took them time, but they did. They did. All right, so let's move on. Sorry. Is it in, who are you? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Look at verse 26 now. I have much to say about you and much to judge. <laughs> Oof. You can, you, can almost, you can almost taste the blood 
in Jesus' mouth as he's biting his tongue. What, what a weird statement to say. Well, if you're the light of the world and you're standing there and you've got a lot more to say about this, these people that are in front of you, why don't you say it? Remember, well, there's a lot of a lot of texts, but remember, probably the clearest one is is what John, what Jesus told Nicodemus back to that same conversation again, in in, in three seventeen, right? We know three sixteen, John three sixteen. Everybody knows, God so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son. Everybody's in Him should not perish. What does seventeen say? For God sent not His Son into the world, what? To condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. So again, there's this there's this fine line. So, so look, look, here's what Jesus is doing. He's the light of the world, okay? So John presents him as a witness, the heavenly witness, who is here not to tell us his opinion, but to tell us what God the Father has been saying and what the truth is from God's perspective. That's what he's doing. And he's simply saying, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the judge's chair in this courtroom scene. I'm in the witness chair. But the truth that I'm giving you itself is judging you. But I'm not here to judge you. Okay? But I am here to tell you the truth. A little bit later on, a few verses later, he's going to say, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free. He wants these guys to be free of this religious system. Just like he wants us to be free of the gods that we worship. It's, there's no atheist. That's garbage. There's no such thing as an atheist. That puzzle you? You laugh about that. Listen to me. Everybody worships something. That's what Jesus is going to say in a few verses later. You don't believe me? You read it yourself. He's going to say you are a slave to whatever you obey. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's pornography. It could be work. It could be laziness. It could be alcohol. It could be you know, drugs. It could be your ego. It could be a religious system. The question is, what do you trust in? What is first in your life? What drives you? What makes you who you are? There are no atheists. Everybody worships something. Everybody serves a God. So they said to him, who are you? Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say, much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I heard from him. I'm just the witness. Now he told them already in chapter 5, you can go back and read that for yourself, okay? Two phases to God's plan. The first phase is the one that we're in now, that started then with coming to Jesus and continues now. And that is that the Messiah, God's agent from heaven is here first as that heavenly witness and as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He is not here to judge. Isn't that good? He's here instead to be judged for those who put their trust in him. If you want to escape uh, the, the, the system, the world system, and the judgment to come, the only way you can do that to not die in your sins is to believe that he is that witness and that one who has been sent by God to, to not only come and bear witness to the truth, but to be the one that opens the door so that he can say in, in, 
in chapter 14, no man comes to the Father, what? Except through me. Okay? You gotta believe me. You gotta believe my witness. You gotta believe who I who I say I am. And you gotta believe that when I when I go to the cross as your substitute, that I am the that it's John Baptist said that, that he's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin. He doesn't just cover it like all the other lambs did, the many millions of lambs uh, that were slaughtered for countless years. Rivers of blood, they've actually uncovered some interesting, Dad shared this with me earlier, um, some, some evidence of where the temple might really have been. Uh, it looks like it may not be on the mountain where they think it is, and there's some good reason for it. Very interesting. But they have dug down and they found where they think might be the actual remains of, of, of Solomon's temple, some of the foundation. And, and one of the things that fascinated me was they found this trench, these trenches, where the blood of these animals can literally run like rivers, right at the height of Passover. There's so many of these. Josephus tells us they, were, they lost count of how many of these animals. It can't, it can't take away sin. It can only cover. But here's the Lamb of God takes away your sin. One sacrifice. One sacrifice for all time. Wow. I have much to say, much to judge. What, what he says to them back in chapter 5 then is, that's phase number one. It's the, it's the phase of grace. It's the phase, if you will, the time to settle with your accuser is now. Not then, not after you die, because there's coming a phase two. And everyone who, in, who fails to acknowledge who he is in phase one will face phase two. And as I like to say, if you don't stand in Christ, you don't stand a chance. Okay? Because he tells them in chapter, again, chapter five, not only has the father given the son life, and the son can give life to whomever he wants, he's also turned all judgment over to man. So when he says here, I have much to say about you in judgment, he's not saying, I'll never say it. He's just saying, right now is not the time for me to say it. But there is coming a future date when they, when these guys, these same guys, will stand before him as the judge. Say. All right. Let's see how far we make. Well. We'll have to pick it up there next time. But it's um, it's a very sobering question or a point to be made to us as well, right? Um, because God is He's not fooling around. He's not fooling around. And if you if you don't, He sent His Son as the one opportunity. For us to be reconciled to him and if we don't take advantage of that if we don't listen you're going to be just like these guys you're going to die in your sin and it's again it's not enough to believe in the system you can't just trust the system you know it, going going to church isn't enough i know we talk about this a lot but it has it bears mentioning again and again paul says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith well, what's the faith not faith in a system. It's not even faith in the Apostle Paul. What he says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? It's Christ that matters, right? It doesn't matter if 
I baptize you, or Peter baptizes you, or even, you know, whatever, Apollos. No, we don't matter. Put your faith where it matters. Trust in him. Also, you can see that picture of like you said to him. You can talk to Jesus, just talk to Jesus. But Aaron plays golf with judges and such and such. You know, you can talk to these guys. It seems like once they put on that black robe and the white wig, conversations change. It's a totally, totally different atmosphere. Totally different conversation. It's usually one direction. But when they take that off, when Jesus was on earth, you could talk to Jesus. You just talk to Jesus. So it'll be one day when the robe will go on. And if you stand up front, there'll be no conversation. One direction. Good. It's a sobering. Sobering. It's a, it's the time of grace now. He's not going to ask you about other people. Phase two. You, there's no talking. It's gone. The individual. That the evidence is brought out. Phase two. Revelation tells us that the dead are judged by the things written in the books. Right. That's the evidence. That's the record. That's when the That's right. And by your own words, by your own words, you'll be judged. And if you show no mercy to people, no mercy will be shown to you. Wow. Father, thank you for these words because as as stark a reality as it is, there's grace in the middle of all this. We thank you so much that you didn't get those two phases reversed because if we all face judgment first none of us would come out the other side for phase phase two of grace into eternal life none of us have a chance <clears throat> we we sure love to compare ourselves with other people we love to criticize other people and laugh at them or or, or point fingers of condemnation. it's like these these religious leaders do that all the time they're constantly measuring themselves against other people and that's, the, that's the, the twin sins of the hypocrite is to justify myself and to condemn others. When, when, it's, when the sign of repentance is the reverse, is to love other people and to condemn myself. To stand before the throne of God's justice and to agree with your word. John writes in his first epistle about this, says, if any man says he's, that he is not a sinner, he, is a, he makes God out to be a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we accuse you of being wrong in your accusation of us. That is, that is, that is dangerous and disastrous. Help us instead to be open-minded, be at least open to the possibility of what you have to say about us is true. And that you went to great expense. Thank you so much that you spared no expense to make a way out that we can believe and put our full faith and trust and credit in this one who gives life and who gave up his own life that we might live. And it's to you we come. It's to you we worship, Lord, and we offer worship. We don't, yeah, we have a formal <clears throat> system here, and we have this whole this whole 2,000 years of church history, and we built this. There's a lot of, a lot of systems out there. There's a lot of systems like this, but we don't want to put our trust in them. 
And we put our trust in the one who is the one who gives life. In his name we pray. Very blessing on the rest of this, this day in Jesus' name.